I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. I'm Shiel Kapadia. Eagles had another training camp practice today. Was down there at the NovaCare Complex with my friend. First time Philly special guest, Tim, uh, Tim McManus from ESPN. Tim, this is a Birds 24-7 reunion. We talk all the time, especially in the offseason when we golf all the time together. But I yep. was thinking, on air together, it might been like eight or nine years, I think. Is, 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 does that sound right to you or am I missing something in between there? That's unacceptable. Yeah, that might be right. <laughs> I was actually just thinking about this today, though, Shield. Looking back at those days when we did the Birds 24-7 radio for 97.5. Yeah. And we, uh, we, did, we broadcast from that place, Smith's downtown. When we were both uh, up and coming, living in the city, like living that, <laughs> living that good life. I was, I was reminiscing about those <laughs> days today. Love those days. That that was nice. I just I, I think I just walked down there. I, I I was in Center City, I believe. So I just made the 20, 25 minute walk down there. Now we're both in the suburbs, just you know, washed old guys uh, with kids. For us to you know be able to get together at a bar would probably take like three months uh, three months ahead of time planning. I think at this point. And a small miracle, yes. 
And a small miracle. Yes. All right. So uh, Tim was with me at practice today. He's been at all of the Eagles practices. I want to go over what we saw today, but then Tim's specialty, in my opinion, good at a lot of things, but he, he can zoom out and get the pulse of a team, the big picture topic. So I want to hit him with some of those today uh, as well. But Tim, just from practice today, I saw you tweeted out some of your observations. Uh, what was something that kind of stood out to you uh, today? I think a 75-minute uh, practice there we, we saw at the NovaCare Complex. Yeah, so DeAndre Swift, I mean, this is the kind of, I guess, environment that you would expect a guy with that kind of speed and elusiveness to stand out. but. Uh, He's building the case, I think, for Michiel that he's going to be RB1. So when he, when he started out at the beginning of training camp, it was mostly just with you know pass catching, but we did see him line up like all over the place. They, they motioned him into the slot. He lined up out wide as a, as a wide receiver, um, and we saw him very much involved in the, in the passing game. And then little by little, uh, he's starting to do a little bit more, and today – was one of the best runs that I've seen him break off one right up the gut um, that he was able to kind of get into space and show that sort of unique burst that he has. And so like, it's, that's a cluttered situation for me where they have five running backs that they talk about. They're all getting first team reps. I, I don't think that you're going to be able to nail down in any given week that it's definitely going to be this guy's going to have the bulk of the carries or something like that. But I think uh, Swift, at least in my mind is starting to separate as a, a, a favorite, I think, for that RB1 spot, as, as much as you can be an RB1 uh, in this current collective. Yeah, it could, it could be a nightmare for fantasy owners, which let's be honest, all, no all, you know, anytime we're talking about uh, Eagles running backs, there's a lot of interest from the fantasy community about what's going to happen with the Eagles. You asked Sirianni about it uh, before practice, and yeah, he kind of gave the answer. We'll, sort of, we'll see. We'll see who's popping and who's not, but I'm with you. I think, I think there's a divide here. I know Solak thinks they don't sleep on Kenny Gainwell. He could lead the team in carries. I know we had uh, EJ Smith on from the Inquirer, and he was with Solak. He said, yeah, I think it's going to be Gainwell. I'm kind of with you, and I think it's going to be Swift. Yeah, he had a nice run today. Uh, I think it was like an 18, 20-yard touchdown right up the middle. I always look at like what the teammates and coaches are doing. Like, was that a legit touchdown or not? Kelsey had his uh, his arms raised. He thought it was a legit, uh, legit touchdown for the Eagles. And Swift's numbers have not been great in Detroit, but this does kind of scream to me like change of scenery uh, type situation for him. And it's such a running back friendly situation with the scheme, with the O-line, with Jalen Hurst back there. So uh, I'm with you on that. I, I think, you know, I don't think it might not be a huge gap between him uh, and the other guys, but uh, I'm still leaning. I was leaning towards Swift when camp started, and I'm still kind of leaning towards Swift as uh, the guy who's the favorite to lead the team in carries. All right. What else? Give, give me one more thing. Was there anything maybe on the defensive side of the ball? I think you you were mentioning some of the pass rushers uh, a little bit today kind of stood out to you. Well, so some of the veterans, and oftentimes I feel like we we focus in on guys who are less established, which is a big part of what training camp is about. But every once in a while you have to make note when you know some of the more established guys are, are doing their job. And Josh Sweat, for me, is someone who's, who's had a really strong camp to this point and he had a nice play on Marcus Mariota today where he leapt up timed it well had a batted pass that probably should have been intercepted or was very close to being intercepted and it seems like every day he's making his presence felt Hassan Reddick you know there's been a lot of hubbub about him for whether he's uh 
you know, angry about his contract or maybe not practicing fully because of it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I saw him in one-on-ones today and uh, he just blew by Jack Driscoll. And Driscoll's not a, a bad football player, uh, but he just made easy work of Driscoll in those one-on-ones, which I'm sure you took note of. So a couple of those guys. And then um, Nolan Smith, you know, continues to impress. You know, I, I think that the burst that he has off of the edge is, is something that's just hard to ignore. And, of course, there's the, the times where he goes up and has to face off against Lane Johnson, and Johnson just totally shuts him down. So it's not like he's a, you know, a, uh, a refined product at this point. But he does have that, he does have that burst, which what I, would, I would imagine will come in handy as he learns the rest of the skill set. Yeah, he had another one in one on ones today where it's just like, all right, yes, he moves differently than pretty much, uh, you know, and he, he really does look like a mini Reddick, uh, not a mini Reddick, a Reddick clone. They're about the same size. That was the comp uh, in the draft. And like, no, nothing I've seen makes me think, oh, no, that was off base. Uh, you know, they look very similar there in the one on ones. Yeah, I would agree. I think the D line today, I thought yesterday in the one on ones, the O line was getting after the D-line pretty good. I mean, it it was rare when you saw a rep where the D-line won. Uh, I thought the D-line did a better job today. Jalen Carter's power is certainly on display uh, in those reps. Marlon Tui-Pelotu talking about a sort of under-the-radar guy, you know, maybe a depth tackle. You know, he he stands out among among those depth tackles here, at least for me, uh, the last last couple practices here. Milton Williams had a good one as well. And then Jordan Davis had a nice rep, but I, I don't think I've asked you about Jordan Davis off the mic. Like, like where are you with him and whether you are bullish on him kind of making a leap this year and us saying at the end of 2023, man, okay, uh, throw the rookie season out the window. This guy looks absolutely legit. Are you more on that side of it? Are you more on, you know, really love what I saw as a rookie. Let's just kind of wait and see. What's your, uh, what's your perspective on Davis? I feel like I'm buying in more on Davis than not. Uh, the the Eagles, I think, pretty clearly uh, have high expectations for what his role is going to be this year, and and that's just based off of look where he's lining up almost every day. He's he's with that first team defensive front alongside Fletcher Cox, and so you know I think they're banking on it. Um, and I do believe he looks lighter on his feet uh, than he did a year ago. Talking with Brandon Graham, he was noting how he thinks that he's more comfortable this year and and attributes that to the presence of the rest of his Georgia boys that have put him into a good frame of mind. Some of the things I question, though, like uh, he was he was talking about his newfound conditioning a couple of days ago, Sheil, and he's like, man, now I can string together like five plays. And, and he looks back at these five plays. He's like, wow. And it's cool. <laughs> Come on, man. Where were we here? Uh, what was going on? Where, like, you know, stringing together five plays is this, is some kind of accomplishment? Uh, like, I get he's a big guy and all that kind of stuff, but so that uh, I guess raised a little bit of a, a flag in my mind. And conditioning has been something that has come up uh, even in, in the pre-draft process with him and, and that sort of thing. But I, I do feel like he's in a pretty good space right now. He looks healthy. I do feel like he looks lighter on his feet. I think he's gotten some good movement, uh, whether it's in the, the team drills or in some of those one-on-ones. So, yeah, more than not, I think I'm, I'm bullish on Davis. Yeah, it, it, it's funny that he said that, and then you think about it, you're like, well, he didn't really have to play a lot of snaps in college. He didn't play a lot of snaps 
last year. So like, what are we going back to high school? You know, maybe when he had to have the workload that you would need to have uh, to be an NFL starting defensive tackle. But like the conditioning is, is no joke. I mean, I thought on film, like if you watch the Super Bowl, even there are times on film where you're just like, what, you know, this guy's supposed to be a freak athlete. Like, He's not moving as quickly uh, as the other guys. He, he's clearly uh, gassed out there. So, yeah, that'll be something, I think, uh, to keep an eye on early in the season. How many snaps is he playing? How does he look in the third and fourth quarter uh, of these games? But um, has stayed healthy, has improved by all accounts, and so we'll see kind of what that what that's going to look like. Shio, that's kind of like a sneaky, uh, important part of this season is whether he can develop as a pass rusher or not. Uh, because yeah. I know coming out, you know, they felt uh, that he certainly could he could develop into that, and he had the skill set in his body. And the rationale was essentially, well, they have all these great players at Georgia, and the reason he wasn't on the field for those pass rushing situations is because you have to keep everybody happy and on, on this deep team, and so that's why he came off, and other guys came in, and they're just they're just so blessed with talent. Which probably there's a level of truth to that, but at some point you got to prove that you can do it. And, um, you know, and I think that people overlook the loss of Javon Hargrave a little bit here. Uh, when we talk about like how good this team is and how good this defense is, like somebody's going to have to step up in a pretty significant way. And uh, people are getting wowed by the talent of Jalen Carter and he's very talented, but he's, he's a rookie. Um, it's, you know, Milt Williams has done some nice things, but is not quite proven yet. Uh, and, and Jordan Davis is someone that they, they spent a very high pick on uh, that they had really high hopes about. You know, they moved up for him, very high hopes about what he could he could be. And I think this is about the time where he needs to start showing it. I'm with you 100%. I mean, Javon Hargrave, I would say, is the top five interior pass rusher in the NFL. He's gone. And what you have left are guys with promise, but guys who haven't done it. I mean, Jordan Davis had over 100 pass rush snaps last year in the regular season, and he, he didn't have a sack or a quarterback hit. So you're starting from like, you know, zero, uh, zero there to get any type of production. Uh, Fletcher Cox, you know, had some nice moments last year. I think we can all agree uh, his best days uh, are behind him. Milton Williams might be the guy like you feel better about uh, than anyone else there. He, he really, I thought, had a strong uh, finish to the second half last year. But again, that's, that's nowhere in the neighborhood of a Javon Hargrave. Uh, Jalen Carter probably has like the highest upside of any of these guys where, man, if you hit on him, you hit on uh, one of the best probably defensive tackles in the NFL, but he's a rookie. And then you have some other options, you know, BG sliding inside, that kind of thing. But I'm with you. They're good on the edge. Nolan Smith has flashed. You already have BG, Sweat, Reddick. Like you're in a great spot with your edge rush. Uh, the interior pass rush is going to be something to monitor here. All right. I'm looking at my other notes here, and I was just thinking, Tim, uh, you know, it was hard to focus there on the sideline because I, I think you, I don't know if you heard any of this, but uh, our friend, Elliot Shore Parks, ESP, you know, everyone knows. Yeah, I like an ESP. Great guy. He, is, he keeps roping me into these Jonathan Gannon uh, arguments, Tim, on the <laughs> on the side. Two, I've only been to practice two days, both days. He's roped me into these Jonathan Gannon arguments. They're from a tweet I sent out in February. I sent out the tweet, and then I flew with my family to the Bahamas for a family vacation. It gets retweeted every now and then. He took issue with the tweet. Then it gets into this big two-on-two. It's me and Brandon Lee Gowton against uh, uh, ESP and Z-Berm are defending Jonathan Gannon's performance. Well, what's the tweet? The Real quick, what's, what's the tweet? Uh, okay, okay. I have it in front of me. I have it in front of me, so I'm glad you asked. So 
Uh, it was from actually a Philly special episode. And I said, the Eagles have played 400 games since 2000. Among that sample, the defensive performance in the Super Bowl ranked 391st in expected yes. points added per drive and 395th in success rate. And so, you know, ESP says to me, he says, yeah, but, you know, how many times have they faced a better quarterback coach duo than Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? And I said, I understand that. But I said, even for a Patrick Mahomes-Andy Reid combination, that was like an exceptionally efficient performance. And I gave him the numbers, which I have right here as well. Based on offensive success rate, the Super Bowl was the Chiefs' best performance of last season, and it was the sixth best offensive performance of any offense last year. That's out of 658 total games. So I thought that was a valid rebuttal. ESP wasn't hearing it. Z Berm was with him. Uh, shout out to Brandon Lee Gowton, who understands you know logic and his eyes and all those things. But I saw you, you were kind of, I think like moving a little away. And I was like, I don't blame you. I think Josh Tolentino from the Inquirer is probably like, can these guys shut up? I'm trying to watch practice, but that has distracted me during practice here, uh, the last couple of days. So I just had to get that out there. Yeah. Well, you have to ESP will rope you in, you know, he's, he's got a yeah, lot on right. his mind, a he lot, of, lot of hypotheticals that he wants to throw at you, you know, uh, if this, then what, you know, uh, would you rather, you know, like all those, <laughs> So I get it. Uh, but there's, you know, you can slice it any way. You can use whatever numbers you want. Jonathan Gannon got pants in that game. Thank you. More, more logic. That's three versus two. That's a, a victory for the smart side of that conversation. We love ESP, by the way. ESP of is a great company, uh, great person to talk to. Rode with him actually on the bus to the Super Bowl. Luckily, we weren't talking about uh, Gannon there. But yeah, he wrote me in and I'm like, wait, I'm not even watching practice. I'm just yelling at you guys over here for five minutes. And I didn't even see what happened there. All right. Let's take a little quick break here, T-Mac. We're going to come back. I want to zoom out a little bit and ask you some big picture questions about this Eagles franchise. The U.S. team is taking on the world, and you can take home bonus bets every time they win with FanDuel because right now new customers get $100 in bonus bets guaranteed plus another $10 in bonus bets for every USA win. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app and sign up between now and August 3rd then place your first $5 bet to unlock your bonus bets. That way, you'll be all set to bet on everything from total goals to player props all tournament long. However you want to play, don't miss your chance to get $10 in bonus bets for every USA win, plus $100 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets which expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. 
in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly special. All right, let's zoom out a little bit, T-Max. So uh, I know I wasn't there for the first couple days of training camp. I noticed Nick Sirianni was pretty fired up there getting after the team right away as someone who has covered pretty much all of his practices since he became head coach. What did you make of that? Was it out of, you know, what he normally does? Did you feel like he's thinking, all right, I'm going to set the tone from the get-go to avoid complacency? What did you make of some of the clips the rest of us saw on social media where, you know, right away, Nick Nick Sirianni's getting after this team? I felt like it was 100% intentional. I mean, it's not, it's not like far away from his on-field personality. In other words, he'll, he'll get after guys, uh, but usually the way that you see it is there's a, a player who makes a mistake in a moment and Sirianni will, you know, will get after him. Um, I remember him kind of barking at Jalen Rager and being like, you say you got this 4-3 speed, like, let's see it, you know? Uh, so like mm-hmm. riding a guy, um, you, know, try, you know, trying to make a point, uh, especially with wide receivers, like he's been very vocal in the past, given that that's his background. But, you know, sitting there with a bullhorn, finding the first time where the team, you know, looked a little sloppy. And this was the, the when he when he pulled out the bullhorn and started yelling the first time, they had five pre-snap infractions in six plays. So like it was, it was legit <laughs> Not <great>. slop. <laughs> it wasn't great. But yes, like he's he's screaming and he's like, if you you want to lose to a bad team, this is how you do it. And, you know, and made it a point to rip into people. And this is coming off of that press conference with he and Howie Roseman, who are like echoing the same message of this is a new year. Last year buys you nothing. 
um, you know, the focus is on the day. And the fact that he came out in, in day one and day two and was very hypercritical and making sure that attention to detail was top of mind for everybody on that field felt absolutely intentional for me. Which brings me to like a larger uh, Sirianni discussion. And so I've been thinking about like, he's obviously done a fantastic job the first two years. I mean, you can't uh, argue with the results. They get, to, they turn, turn it around their first season, get to the playoffs, second season, you're in the Super Bowl. Like it's just hard to get off to a better start than that. But I was like sort of thinking to myself, like, is Nick Sirianni going to be here for 10 years? Is like, is this an Andy Reid type situation where this is just the head coach of the franchise uh, for a very long time? Or is this more of a Doug Peterson type situation where you have a great run? Maybe it lasts five years. Maybe it lasts six years. But it's not kind of that, hey, this is like a Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh type uh, run you have with the franchise. Uh, and I was trying to think of, well, what would lead to one or the other? I mean, we've both, you know, covered and written about some of the dynamics with the front office in the building. I mean, those things are tricky in every NFL building uh, for sure, where one year it seems great. And then the next year it's not, is there a burnout factor with Nick Sirianni where you worry about, man, this guy wants the season starts. I mean, I, I'd be curious to hear from you, but just watching the press conferences at sometimes during the week, I'm like, when is the last time this guy uh, slept here? And then the other factor to that is I heard Dallas Goddard, I forget what podcast he was on this offseason, but he was kind of talking about Sirianni's messaging. And he was like, yeah, you know, it's corny at times, but like they, it gets the message across. So like, is there a worry that some of the messaging and the stuff he preaches will eventually get stale? So uh, those are like seven different questions uh, at you. You can see I'm rusty. I wouldn't want to want to do that in a press conference, but I know you can handle it. So where, where do you kind of land on some of those Sirianni topics? Yeah. So it allows me to go in a number of different directions. So this is, this is great. <laughs> uh, in terms of the messaging, like there's no doubt it comes across as corny, not just to us, but to, to some of the players at times. I don't know if you saw the podcast. I want to say it was AJ Brown, uh, but they were taught and one of the other players and they were talking about where uh, Sirianni tried to use an analogy. He, he was on his way to work and he saw a guy walking his dog and then he took out a poop bag and then he went down and he, and he scooped up the dog's poop. And, and he tried to use that in like a team meeting of like the detail that this guy was using and he was put <laughs> like ridiculous, you know, and they're all laughing like how ridiculous uh, is this guy. Um, and then uh, I was, this would have come out as a story, I think if the Eagles end up winning the Super Bowl, but um, I was gathering during the, the lead up to that in Arizona about like what's Nick's messaging. And they, they kept talking about this movie focus. It's a Will Smith movie. Yeah. Ever seen yeah. It? Yeah. 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 And uh, he was using that. And I guess like, I don't know, it's like a con artist who was like planting the number 55. So this person would say the number 55 in this very specific situation. And like, that was his, like, that was like the big message pre-Super Bowl. And I was, and I was asking, him, I was like, what do you, what's the takeaway? And most of them are like, I have no idea. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> I really don't know, which is to say that it doesn't always land. Uh, which is fine. Uh, but I think that it's okay if it doesn't land as long as you have the other stuff going for you. Uh, the connection part, I think, is something that he absolutely, you know, he talks about it like ad nauseum, but I think it's something that he actually nails. Like he, I think he's very good at building those connections throughout the building. And I also think he's really a really good football mind. 
uh, particularly offensive football mind. And, and if you put those two things together and you're, and you're putting out a winning product, I don't think it matters if you, <clears throat> if you, you know, swing and miss on an analogy. Uh, you know, if you, if you come across as corny at times, like we've seen this team grab his back in, uh, in bad times early on and, and certainly in the good times. So I don't really worry about that as much. Um, I think that he could have long, longer staying power than Doug Peterson. It, it's hard to say like he's going to be Andy like because you know Reed's yeah. a, a unicorn in terms of staying power, but but more than Peterson because like even right after the Super Bowl, like a year or so after the Super Bowl, it still felt like the foundation was very much wobbly under Peterson, even though he had just come off and become this you know the only winning Super Bowl coach in franchise history. Like, I don't know that the trust was ever fully there between the organization and Peterson. And um, if they felt like, from my understanding, my reporting, that they needed to wrap their arms around situations more because things would have otherwise fallen, you know, by, by the wayside under Peterson. He's not like a, he's not like Reed where he knows every single coach throughout the NFL and is like obsessed with this, like he's, he's okay taking, you know, steps back and, um, and, and wasn't worried about everything necessarily organizationally that some other head coaches were. Um, so that created a very tricky dynamic. You know, obviously as he becomes successful, they're still, they're still stepping on his toes. All of a sudden you're button heads and that's bad. Like, it seems like they have more confidence in Sirianni and the way that he has everything buttoned up from, you know, coaching interviews on down the line with all, with all of the kind of nitty gritty stuff. So I think, I think that there's a chance. Yeah. I think there's a chance that he could, he could stay here. Um, you know, there's always the, there's always the burnout factor, particularly when you're working with Roseman, uh, you know, we've seen it, uh, when things get bad, you know, uh, Roseman often positions himself in a way that, you know, he's not going to be the guy that goes down. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah. right now we're coming, they're coming off a Super Bowl and it's all roses, but we know, we know it doesn't always go like that. So there's definitely thorny uh, things ahead for Sirianni, I'm sure, but uh, a lot of things working in his favor as well. Yeah, that's kind of when you find out is when things go poorly. And things did go poorly the first half of his first season, but that was still sort of an expected thing. I mean, it was the, there were no expectations going into that season. And so it wasn't like, shoot, you know, now that you've been close to, I don't, I don't know, is that the top last year? I mean, close to, it was one of the best teams in franchise history. So I know they didn't win the Super Bowl, but pretty, pretty freaking close to the top. Now there are going to be just massive expectations every year. Like think about it. As long as Jalen Hurts is the quarterback, there's an expectation to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. I think pretty much every year, you know, for the next, what, three, five years at least. And so now if you have a year where you go eight and nine and you don't, get in and it's not injury related or maybe it is injury related or some of those fractures form. Um, that's, I think when you kind of find out how strong that relationship is between head coach, front office ownership. Uh, I do think they're all at such an advantage with having Hertz as the quarterback, because like, you know, just from a mentality perspective, he's not going to be the guy who craters and he's going to like, now I, I think it, it, it's such a luxury for a head coach when he's your quarterback um, some of the things you might feel like you might need to do with other teams, you don't need to do because he's setting the tone. He's setting the messaging. Uh, everyone's looking at him as the example. Um, you know, I thought the team kind of took on more of Hertz's personality uh, last year than than Sirianni's. Is that is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, I would I would say so. Uh, yeah, you you kept hearing 
players kind of echo the things that that Hertz was preaching. And yeah, that that is real. Like the respect that they have in that building is certainly real. Um, to your point, I think that the front office has already proven that they feel that they have kind of the the blueprint for how to run a successful operation uh, to the point that they felt comfortable enough to extract, you know, the only guy that ever got them a Lombardi trophy and feel like, you know, we know, you know, we know what the rest of this, how it works and we know what we're looking for. And so if things do start cratering, if, if uh, you know, they, they feel they have the franchise quarterback, all these other good things working for them, sports science, all that other stuff, if they, if they hit rocky times, then, then we know it can go a little a little bit sideways for a head coach, um, but yeah, it's no doubt a luxury to have have a guy on the field that sets the tone for for the rest of the for the rest of the group. You might have noticed that I I had a big smile on my face when you were talking about Super Bowl week and uh, focused him because there was another reporter going around the ballroom asking everybody he could about why did Nick Sirianni show you guys the movie Focus? That was me. <laughs> I'm like, what is this movie? Who? Wait, what's this movie about? Will Smith, Margot Robbie, and I've told the story before. Then the Saturday night before the Super Bowl, I'm texting my friends going, has anyone seen this movie Focus? So you, like, were, on the fo- you were on the Focus storyline as well, huh? I used it anyway. You said you were saving it for That's great. Uh, if, they, if they win. I'm like, listen, this is literally all I asked anybody about all week. Like I'm finding a way to squeeze this in one way or the other. So I don't think it was my lead <laughs> or anything like that uh, to my column. But yeah, I snuck it in there as well. But it was, it did go to a larger point. Like Sirianni shows them all kinds of videos. You know, I was like, all right, well, what else does he show you that's like this? They're like, He'll show Gordon Ramsay chopping an onion. He'll show, you know, like all the, he tries to just find any example he can for what the theme is uh, going to be. And I know like, yeah, the theme that week was just details, details, details. And I'm like, how does this relate to the movie uh, focus? And some people gave good explanations, but you're right. Other ones, they're kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I spent so much energy on the on the focus angle. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the other the other one was <laughs> looking back. I was like, "What was I doing?" The other one was uh, remember the basketball. How how like you get to the free throw line, uh, and this is what he would ask. It was all going back to routine, like how you stick to your routine. And he's right. like, "I bet you, I bet you all remember exactly what your free throw routine was, uh, no matter how long it was ago that you played basketball, whether it's grade school yeah. or through college." And everybody, sure enough, is like, "I spin it." hits the ground, two bounces yeah. and then and then shoot. So some of I think that one resonated a little bit more than than uh Will Smith and Margot Robbie. That's a good one. I remember mine. Three three dribbles and a spin and then you shoot. Three dribbles and uh and a spin. So everybody remembers what they did uh there. All right. A couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Let's stick with with Jalen Hurts here. Uh Tim, sort of the confidence scale in Hurts, you've seen, man, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the quarterbacks. You have McNabb and Vick and Bulls and Bradford and Wentz and a, a long, long list. Many of those guys had at least one great season as a quarterback. Hurts has had one great season as a quarterback. I found, I wonder if you, if you found this too, there's sort of different divisions amongst Eagles fans now. There's the division that's like, 
You cannot say anything bad about my quarterback. This guy uh, is amazing, and he's going to be an all-time great. He's already a top-five quarterback. Get him higher on all these lists that come out, uh, and you know I- I'm all in. And then I think there's another faction that's probably a, a smaller percentage that is kind of like, well, it kind of only has been one great year. And we saw a quarterback, just the guy who preceded him, have one great year, and it went south in a hurry. We all know the differences between Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, but kind of where are you on that confidence scale? Let's say 10 is the fan, the, the, the person who's just like, Jalen Hurts is the guy. I have zero doubts about him at all. Uh, and let's say zero is the guy who's just going like guard up. I'm not buying this yet. Let's see him do it for another season. Where on that scale of uh, of one to ten do you land? I, I guess I would be like a seven point five, somewhere. Okay. somewhere Love a decimal scale of one to ten. You're the second straight guest, Tim. EJ Smith did that. You did this. Uh, I'm picking good guess. Nice. Uh, and and here's <laughs> like I'm all, I'm all in on on Hertz, the person and player. Like I you know I feel like. You know, the evidence is that the arrow uh, constantly points up that the, the work ethic is about as strong as it gets, that there's not going to be, you know, any uh, distractions in, towards the main goal. And so, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is in place. Um, but having seen kind of the, that long list of quarterbacks that you rolled out, uh, one of the common denominators that I've seen is how being reckless with your body uh, leads to injury and then diminished product. Okay. So we definitely saw that with Vic, who was like, yeah, you know, who obviously he just with, with abandon, he would throw himself uh, into the end zone between two linebackers, breaks his ribs like that. And, and he would say, I'm not doing it again. I'm going to learn how to slide, all this <laughs> other kind of stuff. But he could not help himself. That was just, there was something uh, innate in him where he just, you know, that competitive fire. And it, that's how he was going to play the position. You know, Carson Wentz was at the position essentially that Jalen Hurts is at now after his 2017 season where, you know, he was uh, almost the MVP but got injured uh, and he never recovered from that. I mean, he just you look back now and that was kind of the the mark, um, you know, it was the 17 season ACL never looked the same, still tried to do the same things physically and just could never quite get there and never adjusted his game properly. And so with Hertz, uh, it's it's interesting that we've heard from Josh Allen this offseason, and he made those comments of like, you know, I'm getting older, and at some point I'm just going to have to be more of like a, a traditional quarterback and all those kind of things. Like it's seeped in with all the different injuries that he's going to clearly make an adjustment. Uh, and I think that stands in pretty sharp contrast to the things that we're hearing uh, by Hertz and by Sirianni. And after, after Hertz got his contract, Sirianni was asked about this and he said, you know, we did not pay him more to do less. Uh, when you talk to Hertz about it, he said like, you know, that's what makes me unique. I want to be the triple threat quarterback and all those kind of things. And, you know, and I think that's right to a certain extent, but I also know that he's gotten hit um, second to only Josh Allen the most uh, since mm-hmm. he became a starting quarterback and that uh, the Eagles uh, have designed the most run plays for him by large amount uh, over any other quarterback in the NFL since he's taken over that job. And so to me, like what they're saying and what we're seeing at camp, like you continue to see him run, run, run. I get, I get nervous about that if I'm an Eagles fan because like we've been down this road 
it's he's he already has the high ankle from Alabama that he just had another surgery on just to remove the the hardware this offseason. Uh, he had uh, he had a high ankle sprain on the other ankle that required surgery following the season prior to last. Uh, he had the shoulder going into the playoffs that almost derailed their postseason, and you know it's going to continue if if he continues. So that's that's where like. If it was, if that was taken out of the equation, like I'm nine or ten on Hertz, but because I've seen what I've seen, um, and because they seem to be going in that same direction of we're just going to keep doing this, it, it certainly gives me pause. It's well said. Uh, it's th- this is a conversation that I know Eagles fans are having about that balance, and I, I think it's hard. I mean, I was just looking up uh, some numbers for uh, some pieces I'm working on. If you just look at designed runs. In the last 20 years, like guys who have had, I think it was 75 or 100 designed runs in a season, he was the most effective rusher in the last 20 years. If you just look at success rate, which is, you know, basically the, the, to, to define it, it's just like if it's third and one and you gain a yard, like that's a successful run. It's not going to show up in yards per carry. It's going to show up as a one yard run, but you move the chains. And so it's kind of positive uh, expected points added. Like, so this was literally the most efficient running season uh, we've seen for a guy with that many carries running back or quarterback last year. And so if you're coaches, you're saying, what are you nuts? We're not taking that away. Like, look at what, I mean, at its core, the Eagles offense was like, we're going to have a dynamic run game. You're not going to be able to stop it. If you commit resources to stopping it, we're going to throw to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. Go ahead. I mean, like, if you just boil it down, uh, it wasn't that complicated of a formula, and that formula worked pretty much every week. But to your point, that formula only works if Hurts is healthy and if Hurts uh, is on the field. So I I do think they need that balance. Like, I, I think he does a good job of protecting himself. At the same time, there were games last year that were out of hand, and in the third quarter, they're still running. They're still using option runs. And I'm going, you could just hand the ball off here. Like, you know, you're up by two touchdowns or three touchdowns. So that's something I is definitely on my radar, especially early in the season. I mean, if you're not going to blow as many teams out probably as you did last year, but when you're in those situations, uh, you kind of have to, it's not necessarily break in case of emergency. I think it's a little bit more than that, but there are opportunities to be smart about it and realize that the end goal is the Super Bowl and it's a long season and you don't need to put yourself in harm's way uh, when you don't have to. So yeah, that I, I think you're right. As long as Hertz is the quarterback, that's probably going to be a point of discussion. You know, uh, when Vic was the quarterback, that was the conversation every year, and this is a, a different scenario. So if he makes even more strides as a passer, I think maybe they get a little more comfortable and say, okay. We don't need to to lean on his legs um, as much, but it's such a weapon that I do understand their inclination to be like, you know, what are you nuts? We're not just going to be a traditional offense when that's not why you signed this guy uh, to a big contract. Yeah, to your point, I think they they would they would uh, look at this as well as like when he was coming back from that shoulder injury and it, before they got into the the postseason play and they were they're just you know making sure that they weren't overexposing him in the run game like the offense was sputtering and so i think that you know that that goes to the overall philosophy is like that's a big part of what makes this whole thing tick is the fact that he you know he's able to to break off and be this very effective very efficient runner um it's and but that's all isn't that always like the search for balance uh when it comes to quarterbacks who can who can use their feet and like do do organizations ever successfully land on it i don't not it doesn't seem like the history suggests that they do that very effectively. There's the the Russell Wilsons who 
who've run but always get down and hardly ever get hit. But the the ones that do get hit, you know, eventually that's going to take its toll. Yeah, I thought that was a big story this offseason that two guys who are dynamic runners in Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts both got, you know, contracts of $50 million or more like 10 years ago. Uh, there's no chance that's happening. Uh, now it's a different game. It's a different sport. More, you know, we, we were covering Chip, and it was like, well, he's running the quarterback. What's going on here? And now you just mentioned it. Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott does it a little bit. Trevor Lawrence does it uh, a little bit. You know, you can go on and on. Where It's probably not, you know, half the league, but it's probably like at least 10 guys who that's going to be at least a part uh, of what th- those guys do offensively. So we'll certainly see how that's going to play out. All right, let me ask you one more uh, Eagles question, and then I'll finish it with a non-Phillies question here. Uh, last 20 years, one Super Bowl loser has gotten back, and that was the Patriots after the Eagles beat them. They got back the next year. Uh, they won the Super Bowl. So we know it doesn't happen often. At the same time, you go out to these training camp practices, and you're like, man, this team's loaded. This team's really good. Wow, they've got a lot of good players. They're really healthy. Who else in the NFC are you really picking? So um, what's your biggest concern? Like like if we get to the end of the season and they don't get back to the Super Bowl, and let's put injuries aside because we, we all know they got very lucky with injuries last year. That's unlikely to, uh, to, to happen again. But injuries aside, what do you think the reason would be when we look back on 2023 and say, all right, they were a good team, but they weren't quite able to get back, back to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have uh, some of the same concerns as most people in terms of the the safety and linebacker spot, both both kind of unproven and, and brand new from this year. But uh, I think as we know that outside of quarterback and Hertz has been butter, by the way, he's been he's been awesome as a passer yeah. uh, in camp this year. So maybe that that helps with the, the problem that we were just talking about, uh, but is is through the offensive and defensive lines otherwise. And there is this kind of assumption and a lot of it is is based on on evidence but you know uh, that both of these fronts are going to be um you know as dominant as they have been you know in in recent years but it's not hard to look at and we talked touched on this a little bit in the in the beginning of this pod shield but of like you're banking on somebody like whether it's a Jordan Davis or a Milton Williams or a rookie in Jalen Carter and you could say the same thing in a rookie and Nolan Smith to take on uh, this level of production that we just don't know whether it's going to be there yet. And Fletcher Cox is on the downside of his career. And so is Brandon Graham uh, is in his mid thirties at this point. And so like, there's a scenario where the the production that you were expecting on the defensive line is not nearly what it is currently being hyped up to be. And on the offensive front, I think it's, it, it feels pretty thin um, in terms of depth this year. And that, I don't know that we, you know, normally, I think you you think of Jeff Stoutland and you think of the offensive line group and it's just like if if somebody goes down there's there's plenty there but I'm I'm not sure that that is the case this year and and in their own respects you know Lane Johnson up there and Jason Kelsey as we know is is also like towards the twilight of his career so that's it for me is if is if the off if like kind of the old guard um you know falls off pretty rapidly just possible. And the young guard uh, along the offensive and defensive lines isn't ready for the moment quite yet. That that's where you know this season could you know go more south than people are expecting. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's so much riding on last year's draft class and this year's draft class. I mean, think of all the all the positions. You, Cam Jurgens, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter. Like these are guys you need to be. Even you could even throw in like a Tyler Steen in there when you talk about O line depth. You know, if if Mylata goes down, what are they doing? Is Driscoll Driscoll has been uh, practicing uh, at left tackle? I think Tyler Steen got out there a little bit today uh, mm-hmm. with the second team. If Lane Johnson goes down. It's Driscoll, who has been, as you mentioned, competent when he's out there, but has not been someone who's had to play like, you know, 11 games in a season and, and has been able to show he can be healthy uh, and do that either. So I think O-line depth, um, you know, it's a concern for every team. Uh, really, if you look around the league, most of them don't don't have it. But at the same time, you get a little unlucky up there um, and it can kind of change the way your season's going to go on. Right. How about, uh, I was talking to Dennis Kelly the other day and he, was, he mentioned that he's in like year 12 or something like that. I was like, man, how the heck? How did that happen? When did he come into the league? Was that when we were at Birds 24-7, Dennis uh, Kelly? Right, remember, a, yeah, right around there. Right around there, I think, right? Yeah, I sort of remember it that he, uh, you know, one. I think it was one of the drafts we probably covered together. Uh, good good for him. I mean, what a, that, right. that's how you, to, to have a career that long, no one was anticipating that, uh, certainly when he came out. So yeah, he, Traded for Doriel Green Beckham. That's that? right. That's right. And uh, he's been playing right tackle out there so you have you know you have options none of them are as good as the starters you never know how that's going to affect the overall state of the team all right last thing i wanted to get from you t-max so phillies this afternoon as we record this uh take three or four from the marlins gate great start from lorenzen i gotta say i didn't know anything about this lorenzen guy i knew uh, nothing he gave an in- yeah. Yeah, he gave an in-game interview yesterday. I'm like, this is the most normal starting pitcher I've ever seen. For those who watched it, uh, I'm like, normally starting pitchers, they get interviewed and you're like, oh God, this guy just seems like a drag to be around or just an awkward guy or a boring guy or a really conceited guy. I was like... This guy could be in like the the broadcast booth uh, today, so I liked that. And then he had a great start, eight innings pitched, only threw uh, twenty nine balls. So he, uh, Phillies are fifty nine and fifty in the second wild card spot. All in all, a great series against the Marlins. We'll see what they do this weekend. But my question to you, Tim, mm. is about the guy who is dom- dominating the airwaves in Philadelphia. Uh, at least when I was listening earlier today, and that is Trey Turner. I, I tweeted out a couple stats. Last night when I was sort of, my wife's like, well, you're tweeting from the like recliner. Are you sure you like, you want to hit send on what she must've just seen the look on my face. She's like, normally you go to your computer to like, look up some stat or something. What are you about to say here? But <laughs> I, had, I don't think it was too harsh. It was just basically the Trey Turner is 132nd out of 145 players in OPS. That's as a batter. And then he has 14 errors, which is second most of any player in the major leagues. And I just made the point that if he's like a C minus, maybe even a D instead of an F that like you're feeling so much different about this Phillies team. And so Trey Turner goes over three again here uh, in the series finale against the Marlins. So I have two questions for you, Tim. One, when I tweeted that out, a lot of what I got back was playing in Philadelphia. It's not for everybody. It's hard that's what it is. Cause I said, it's hard to explain. And people said, no, it's not. It's hard to play in Philadelphia. He wasn't cut out for this. That's why he's struggling. That's that, that's the actual, let's just, let's start with that. And then I'll ask you the follow-up question. You have uh, seen many an athlete come through this city. Trey Turner has played in Los Angeles. Trey Turner has played in the world baseball classic. Trey Turner has played in the world series. Is it that different? Is that a valid reason or not uh, to you 
for why Trey Turner has struggled so badly this season? I mean, I, I don't uh, discount it out of hand because I've seen a, a number of athletes that came into Philadelphia and it was oil and water. And it's like, this is not for me. Like the, this is, uh, the, the level of scrutiny, uh, the idea that fans, uh, your own fans can turn against you in moments, uh, how red hot it can be, it can run here. Like that, that catches some people off guard and they never uh, want to kind of acclimate to the city. Uh, they want to try to distance themselves and it totally affects their play. Like that has happened a number of times. Philly is a unique place to play. However, however much you want to slice it, the people who get it, love it, embrace it. It's amazing. Um, the other, the other ones that don't, it, it can be kind of torturous. Uh, so, so I don't discount it. Um, I don't know that that's what I'm picking up on with Turner. It doesn't seem yeah. like he's, you know, scared of the moment or, you know, having a negative uh, reaction to Philly. Um, but it's, it's obviously that his confidence has just gone off a cliff. And th- when you listen to like uh, Dombrowski, who was on the radio today uh, and, you know, Topper had said, you know, trying to do too much is I think the refrain that, that people have used a lot. You know, uh, if you get paid that kind of money, you know, the expectation is that you're going to be a star. And, you know, when that starts not happening, I think that you probably just overthink it. You know, as, as a couple of poor golfers like we are, you know, it's not easy to start overthinking things when, <laughs> when things go poorly, uh, let alone on a, uh, you know, on a huge on a huge scale uh, when you're talking about professional players. That seems to me like he's in this spin cycle of just like, trying way too hard and getting out of who he is. That's, that's what it feels like to me. What do you think? Yeah, I, I also don't buy that. It's just, it's cause he's playing in Philadelphia and isn't cut out for it. I mean, he's played like if it was someone who came from a, you know, fran- like a, a small market franchise that never won anything and put up big numbers on a bad team, then I would be like, okay, yeah, the pressure might be getting to him, but like, just, that's not this guy. The guy's played in big games. The guy's played on world series teams. The guy's again was awesome in the world baseball classic right before the season started. So I don't think that's it. Also like the fans haven't been hard on Trey Turner, Tim, like it's a different fan base now than it was when we were younger. I mean, I, I people listeners are probably so tired of me bringing it up, but like, just like, Think, think of like a Donovan McNabb and like fan fan treatment. And listen, some of it was uh, warranted. He was sort of, he could be an annoying guy uh, for sure. But when you just look at production like that compared, like I don't even know that Trey Turner, I don't think he's got significantly booed at home yet this year. To me, it reminds me more of like when Ben Simmons was going through stuff and the crowd was really trying to get behind him because they're like, Either if this guy's not good, we're screwed. That's how it's felt to me with Trey Turner. Like he'll have a game where he gets on base twice. And I think every Phillies fans, I know I thought of this. You're like, all right, come on. That's something to build on. You know, like he had a great defensive play last week. And I was like, all right, that's good. You've been terrible in the field. That was a great defensive play. Build on it. And it's just like, it hasn't happened. Like he hasn't had a stretch of two good weeks of baseball all season long. Like this isn't up and down. This has just been down uh, consistently. So that was actually the second thing I wanted to ask you about. Phillies return home this weekend. Uh, friend of the the podcast, Jack Fritz, I saw he was tweeting. He said he feels kind of bad for Trey Turner. And I think that's true for you know some fans. Uh, other fans say, give me $30 million. Like I'll you know go out there and be uh, terrible and you can boo me all you want. There are some fans, it's kind of like what you said. You've seen me be very, I'm very mentally fragile. Uh, man, one thing goes wrong on the <laughs> golf course, I'm done. You're, you're probably like, oh God, it's going to be a long day uh, for Shield. So I actually- yeah, Six hour empathize. round coming up. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of <laughs> empathize with that. But uh, Jack Fritz said, 
Trey Turner should get a standing ovation when he returns home uh, this weekend for the fans to show they're behind him. We need you. I have other friends who say... You, if you're going to a game, you better boo the crap out of Trey Turner uh, this weekend because sometimes booing does help, and he knows, and he deserves it. Where do you, where do you fall uh, on that question? Well, it's certainly not in the standing ovation side. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let's have a reality check of where we are here and what we're doing, Michael. That's 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 not happening. Um, I think that he's going to get uh, that. Fan frustration is going to come out towards Turner when they when the Phillies get home. I don't think it's going to be like this this big to do, but I think you are going to hear it. Um, however, I agree. I don't I don't believe that this fan base has is giving him a really hard time uh, in the grand scheme. And part of it is like I think there's this sense that he wants it. Like it's not for like a lack of right. effort or trying. Like he is, he's very much like wants to be great and is struggling. And I think in Philly, you get, you know, sort of a, you get more uh, leeway when that, when that's the case, as opposed to, um, you know, if somebody like Ben Simmons who comes off, like, uh, you know, he could take it or leave it. So that's where I come down yeah. on that. I think that's absolutely right. The effort, uh, has has been there. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Maybe he gets a couple hits. Everyone uh, starts cheering. All right, T-Mac, what do you have uh, to plug here before we say goodbye to you? Uh, you know, just uh, keep watching me uh, on ESPN. Read me on ESPN.com. I don't know. Listen to me on 97.5 and uh, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. It's been good hanging out with you, my friend. There you go. Yeah, Tim had a great story on Jalen Hurts and Brian Johnson that Solak uh, plugged in our last episode that I didn't get to ask you about this time, but everyone go check that out. All right, T-Mac, thank you for joining me, my friend. This was a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. Thanks to Jamie McClellan for pinch producing for Cliff Augustine. Jamie coming through in a big spot. All right, barring any breaking news, that'll be it this week. Solak will join me again early next week as we look ahead to the first preseason game against the Ravens. All right, that'll be a wrap. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit KS Gambling Help com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 
1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.